Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, the editor at Security Ledger. As you know, if you've been reading our blog, security and the Internet of Things is a hot topic as we quickly transition from a Internet of desktops, laptops, servers, and the like to a Internet populated by hundreds of billions of intelligent, connected stuff. The security implications of that are profound. And here with us today to talk about some of the implications of that is Martin Roche, who was the founder and CTO at Sourcefire, a company that he started in 2001, and that in October of 2018, 2013, was acquired by Cisco Systems. Marty now serves as vice president and chief architect of Cisco's security business group. He's a respected authority on intrusion prevention and detection technology and was the author and lead engineer on the SNORT intrusion prevention and detection system. Marty, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Thanks. Good to be here. Why don't we take a look back at Again, as a step in the Wayback Machine here, go back to 2001 when you created Sourcefire. What were what was the security context back then, uh, both around the creation of Snort and, and the company behind it? What problems were you trying to solve? What were the pain points that uh, organizations were having? Well, you know, uh, Snort came about uh, as a learning exercise for me. I was, um, you know, I, I started in security in 96, and one of the ways that I um, kind of uh, taught myself how security worked was uh, I built tools. So I built scanners and honeypots, and uh, I built um, sniffers, and ultimately I, I built a, a sniffer that I called Snort and open source. So really what I was trying to do was uh, uh, teach myself uh, a lot about security and um I was uh, interested in recording the uh, activity that was going on on my home network when I was at uh, at work during the day. So I would leave Snort running, uh, and it would just uh, um, record all the packets. And I come home at night and sift through the packets. You know, the internet was a lot quieter back then, <laughs> so that was something that was uh, doable. So uh, you know, I, I kind of got the ball rolling, and I decided to release Snort as an open source project towards the end of. Um, uh, 1998, and um, essentially uh, Snort snowballed very quickly. I started putting features in it that uh, um, gave it intrusion detection functions, and uh, you know Snort went from first lines of code to being one of the most um, prevalent uh, intrusion detection engines on the planet in less than two years. And um, you know that was uh, that was kind of really interesting for me because you know at first I had no idea how fast it was taking off, and then I started looking around and started talking to people and, and just kind of had this uh, uh, universal recognition that Snort was being used all over the place. And I saw some empirical, some empirical data that really backed that up that showed that Snort was in use and, you know, 90% of networks that were doing intrusion detection were using Snort inside two years of when uh, I started writing it. So I thought to myself, geez, uh, you know, and at that point I was working on it so much that uh, I, I thought, you know, if I don't figure out a way to make money on this, uh, somebody else is going to. Um, and I was between jobs at the time, and I was thinking I can go work for somebody else or I can take this thing that I've got that seems to be very popular and, and see if I can uh, build a business around it. So the the problem that I was trying to solve is essentially, um, well, you know, kind of the, the, the really big problem I was trying to solve was how to get people to pay for something that was free. <laughs> but... The um, <laughs> a common an, an increasingly common problem these days actually exactly right and I didn't want to just sell them advertising uh, 
So, you know, there was kind of this nice ecosystem building up around Start, but it was um, there, there was nothing kind of enterprise strength there. And, you know, the opportunity that I saw was that I knew that in the small scale that Snort uh, solves problems, but on the large scale, Snort caused problems. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go solve that large scale problem. And, you know, it occurred to me uh, very early on in the thought process that, you know, the people who have the large scale problem happen to be people who are large organizations that tend to have a lot of money. Um, so uh, maybe that would be a place to a good place to concentrate my efforts. Always, a, always um, a good customer to focus on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that was the basic idea. So I was going to take the thing that everybody loves, and I was going to put it on a device, and I was going to sell the things that they needed. I was going to sell um, manageability, scalability, performance, automation, and support. Uh, so that was the basic idea, and um, that's what I did. I put it on an appliance, built a GUI, built a central management. Uh, um, platform and, uh, you know, uh, built this uh, in my house with uh, uh, some friends, my, my early employees, um, and we got the ball rolling. And, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, it, it worked out because Snort was so pervasive at this point that there was a, a ready-made market for it. I didn't have the initial problem of finding people who, who cared about Snort and my way of doing intrusion detection. I already had hundreds of thousands of people that, you know, that were using it. So now I needed to just find the people who had the scalability problem that I was addressing, which turned out to be, you know, all these big organizations. So very rapidly we went from having no customers to having a nice little handful of customers but who were writing us big checks. And that's when, uh, that's when the venture capital got involved and it was off to the races. It seems like there are kind of two schools of thought about Internet of Things. One is that it, it's really just an extension of, of the mobile device and BYOD problem. It's sort of BYOX. You just have more different types of mobile uh, endpoints. Um, but fundamentally, no, not much of a different problem. And, you know, <clears throat> the other is that it's going to change everything, right? It's going to um, smash what was left of the um, network perimeter. It's going to scatter, you know, sensitive data to the winds. Where do you fall on that? Is is there too much talk of Internet of Things? Or is some of the concern warranted from the, you know, if you're an enterprise IT or IT security person? I think it's warranted, uh, certainly. Um, you know, users are getting a lot more uh, ability to, um, you know, move data around and, and store data in different places that you'd rather they didn't store it and things like that. But I, I tend to find that people still, you know, people can only keep track of so many things at a time, right? So on the one hand, you have a user population. So if I have a large user population and I've got, you know, um, you know, 500 different places that people are squirreling away their data and things like that. That that certainly represents a problem. But I suspect what is uh, really going on is there people are squirreling away their data in a few places, and you have different populations who use these different places, like a Dropbox or Box.com uh, or you know the the uh, uh, on-site uh, server infrastructure, file server infrastructure, and things like that. So I think you know I, I think maybe it's Maybe it's not as bad as people think. I think the Internet of Things is um, certainly going to produce challenges, but you know you're not going to be storing files on your light bulbs probably anytime soon, right? Your your IP enabled light bulbs. Um, so I, I think never say never, over. Marty. Didn't say never. I said not for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said not okay, for a while. You said not for a while. I'm I'm sorry. I missed that. Not for a while. Okay, right. <laughs> right. 
soon as they put micro SD slots in my IP enabled light bulbs, and yes, I'll probably put stuff data on there. Uh, yeah, so you know, people are finding all sorts of uh, exciting ways to, uh, you know, if they can get electrons to it, they want to store information on it. I get that. <laughs> right. Right. I think you get into like how many how many places that I store data can I actually keep track of, right? So this is like so classic problem right now is like managing photos. So I'm a big Mac user. And uh, we've got a bunch of different cameras at my house, you know, people's phones and uh, regular photographic cameras and things like that. So do I use iPhoto? Do I use Aperture? Do I use Lightroom? Do I put them up on Flickr or on Adobe's thing? What is it, Ravel? Or uh, put them up in Google Picasa? Maybe I put them in two different places so that I have redundancy in case, you know, somehow Google goes away uh, or, you know, something, right? Um, Ultimately, I'm going to like try to simplify this down because I'm going to lose track of where the heck you know my vacation pictures from three years ago went, and I'm going to place my bets, right? And I think people are going to place their bets on where they're going to stick their stuff and what applications they're going to work with. And you get into these big um, application platforms like uh, Salesforce.com uh, or Google Apps or whatever, um, where all this stuff tends to aggregate, and then you have a you know you have lower usage of the uh, kind of uh, market share outliers. That certainly could be worrisome from a standpoint of an IT guy who's just trying to, you know, keep a handle on how people are moving data around and where it's going and things like that. And I think, you know, security infrastructure can give us can give us solutions to those sorts of things. I think with the uh, the application control um, stuff that's out there now uh, that can codify what applications are being used and by who. Uh, I think that's certainly um, uh, the kind of steps in the right direction that we need to get a handle on this because at the end of the day it gets down to, you know, we talk about security, visibility, and control. Uh, the first step to being able to exert control is having visibility, right? So if we can build the, the visibility infrastructure to let us know how people are using things and where they're putting things and, how, you know, who's doing what with different pieces of data, then you have a, a much better opportunity to start actually exerting control over how they use it. And I think we see a lot of activity going on around that, even with the emergence of things like SDNs, malware protection uh, system. How do, you, uh, how do you get your arms around the threat space, as it were? Obviously, uh, with the shift to IPv6 and you know the uh, appearance of hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of new endpoints within uh, uh, maybe a large organization, um, on, a, on a practical matter, how do you canvas that? How do you how do you know that you've addressed all the endpoints and all the threats, uh, all the activity out there that uh, you need to know about? You know that's uh, that's actually um, a very interesting point, and uh, you know it, it, it speaks to kind of the older model of doing security. So. You know, the classic way that we figure out what's in our network environment is to scan, right? That's right, <laughs> so yeah. We, right, we fire, fire up NMAP or whatever, and we, we start uh, um, interrogating the network to see what's out there. Uh, that pretty obviously doesn't work very well in IPv6 environments because uh, obviously, you know, you can spend a few years scanning before you get the results back. <laughs> um, right. Obviously, they might not be accurate when they finally come back. Um, so, interestingly enough, the uh, the the passive network discovery technology that we uh, uh, that are the underpinnings of the Firesight um, intelligence platform that we have uh, works exceedingly well in those environments because basically the way that our technology works is uh, we let the network tell us about itself uh, by watching the, the uh, devices interact with each other. 
So anything that's generating traffic on a wire we profile, which allows us to map essentially uh, any size environment very rapidly uh, and leverage you know, a, a real-time picture of what's out there uh, to, uh, to be able to do things like automated tuning of our defenses as well as uh, automated analysis of um, the, uh, the impact of the security events that we're seeing. So, um, yeah, we actually have uh, what I feel is a pretty good answer to that particular problem. And, uh, you know, when you pair that up with things like um, uh, the application-centric infrastructure where, you know, very specifically have uh, uh, the uh, ACI uh, and APIC, uh, you know, software-defined networking uh, capabilities that are going to have explicit knowledge of, uh, you know, what's out there, how it's configured, and how it's talking to each other on the data center side of things. I, I think we have a very good opportunity to be able to uh, operate effectively in pretty much uh, any um, future environment that's out there because we kind of we architected it right from the uh, from the beginning. Putting on your your Oracle's hat uh, or glasses. Um, and looking ahead five years, you know, we've we've had a evolving but more or less stable suite of security tools and technologies, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, uh, you know, a firewall, antivirus uh, on the endpoint, uh, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, um, and, and uh, so on. Um, does, uh, Josh Corman has commented that, you know, we never get rid of stuff in the security field. You know, it's, it's all additive. You know, we just add new tools or new boxes uh, as needed. Do, do you see any of those technologies uh, sailing off into the sunset as we transition from this uh, Internet of you know, machines or an Internet of uh, uh, PCs to an Internet of things? Um, what do you think? the uh, tool belt looks like uh, for your average enterprise, you know, five or ten years hence? Well, that's, that's a, a very uh, interesting question. I think in terms of the, um, you know, are things going to go away? You know, I doubt fundamental capabilities are go, will go away. You know, if you, if you think about it in terms of uh, the fundamental capabilities instead of the products themselves, um, that's kind of a, a different uh, lens to to view it, right? right so right. Am, I ever, am I ever going to get rid of the fundamental need for this capability to do things like network segmentation? No, I'm not, right? Um, same thing for, you know, for uh, basic uh, five-tuple access, access controls and stuff like that. So, you know, those, those basic functions don't really go away. I suspect that they consolidate, right? So we're seeing... Uh, firewalls and intrusion prevention systems being brought together under one roof in uh, next generation firewalls. And, you know, not always with the efficacy and performance of the standalone kind of quote unquote best of breed devices, but we are seeing this happen and as time marches on, I suspect you'll, you know, you'll see this, um, the, the performance and scalability of those technologies march up the food chain. So, uh, I, I've had this notion of uh, um, the idea of uh, what I call a network control point, which is, you know, totally super great marketing name uh, for, uh, it's like, you know, cold dead fish, right, um, <laughs> instead of sushi. Uh, but this, this notion of a network control point, which essentially consolidates all the functionality under uh, one roof for kind of everything that you want to do um, at a network level uh, from an enterprise security standpoint, because that's kind of where I typically focus my efforts initially. And, you know, um, I think that if you uh, think about what you want to accomplish there what, and what we've tried to accomplish over the really last 25 years, what you're seeing is 
you know, we're just moving up the stack, right? We started off with firewalls at layer whatever, three and four and somewhere two, right? And then we moved up to intrusion detection and prevention systems, and then we got up to, um, you know, uh, network-based anti-malware and daily prevention systems. So I've moved from looking at packet headers to protocol structures to, um, you know, uh, the applications themselves and now the data uh, that's actually being moved um, through the applications. Um, so over time, that does start to consolidate to some degree as much as it can. And the problem that you get into when you try to consolidate this stuff, there's been a mad rush to consolidate, right? Everybody tries to outvision each other by saying, well, you know, all this stuff's going, you know, gonna, it's all going to disappear into the router, right? Um, I've been hearing that since before I started SourceFire. Well, you know, all, you know, these intrusion detection systems are going to disappear into the firewalls, and the firewalls are disappearing into the routers. Right. So, you know, your your idea is stupid, and you will fail QED. I think I wrote that <laughs> article actually, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm not blaming you. It's very popular. No, I'm, I'm uh, joking. I'm joking. Right. <laughs> but the um, you know the the problem is that people actually have expectations of performance and efficacy in terms of you know how capable this technology really is. If you don't care, then you can bake it into a router because, you know, routers got very constrained memory and processing uh, capacity, uh, whereas, you know, something like an intrusion prevention engine like Snort needs fairly unbound uh, processing capacity and, and memory if you want it to go really fast in, in big net enterprise networks. So, you know, we've got kind of a mismatch between desire and, and capability. So eventually these things fold together. I'm not even going to say that they're going to fold together under the next over the next 10 years, but they will come under one roof at some point. You also get into the problem of um, organizational complexity uh, as well, right? So this is the problem of, you know, the network ops guys and the security ops guys are two different sets of people who, you know, don't necessarily get along and they do have different uh, responsibilities and uh, different roles and, you know, they might not even go to the same parties, right? So. Um, do we want, really want to have them battling for control of one unified platform that does switching, routing, firewalling, uh, application control, intrusion prevention, uh, advanced malware detection, and data leak prevention? Uh, you know, who's, that's like a, a steering wheel or a, a car with four steering wheels. Uh, who's in control of this thing? Um, and, you know, who gets to decide when we get to turn left? Um, so there's, there's uh, a lot of complexity when you actually start delving into what's you know, trying trying to make these things happen, like you know, this mythical. Let's put all this stuff into one box, consolidate it all, and then you know, I don't have to have a separate firewall and IPS and um, advanced malware capabilities and things like that. Um, you will have that level of consolidation happen. It'll probably happen at the low end before it happens at the high end, uh, but it will happen over time um, and get you into a more comprehensive. Um, set of security capabilities because they'll be self-reinforcing. They'll actually talk to each other instead of being like, you know, five different technologies that don't look at or talk about the same things. There'll be five different technologies that communicate what each of them is seeing and then leverage, you know, each step of the pipeline will leverage the, the visibility that the other uh, stages have so that they can do their job more effectively. Uh, I think that will certainly happen. And, and at that point, that's when you'll start looking at taking out some stuff that, um, maybe doesn't work so well uh, or doesn't provide a lot of value anymore. Okay, final question, uh, Marty, and then I'll let you go. As a security guy, uh, what are you most enthusiastic about when you think about Internet of Things, Internet of Everything? And what are your biggest, what is your biggest concern? Well, the thing I'm most con enthusiastic about is, you know, you know, have the remote control of your devices, your house, your car, 
uh, over, you know, via your phone or via your computer, um, being able to check up what's going on on things at home, having, you know, the um, video capabilities that we have, video call capabilities we have now and things like that. These things are really pretty fantastic, right? I mean, you really are living in the future. We do have video phones. They are portable. You know, I have my, uh, I was on vacation last week and my mom, uh, you know, kicked off a video call uh, while I was uh, down in the Caribbean. It was, you know, pretty cool. Um, so we're definitely living in the future in that sense. We're being able to do things like, you know, tell your tell your house that uh, you're away. So set the thermostats appropriately and turn on the, um, you know, the lighting program for uh, making it look like we're still at home, stuff like that. That's super cool um, because this allows you to uh, um, have much more discrete control over, you know, so many aspects of your life. I can be, you know, 2,000 miles away from my car that's parked in the airport parking garage and I can check up on it to see, you know, see how it's doing or see its charge status and it's an electric car or whatever. Um, or, you know, if I forget where it was, I can ask it where it is. Or, you know, if I forget where I parked it, I can actually ask it where it is and it will tell me. That's very <laughs> you know, cool, those, yeah. Uh, those things are super cool. Um, the things that uh, give me pause are, you know, all the kind of standard things. So the problem with uh, being able to hook up things up to the Internet is that everybody's going to hook as much as they can up as quickly as they can, and there's quite a bit of stuff that might not be ready for it. Um, so, you know, you get into all the industrial control systems and, you know, then we start talking about, geez, if I can get access to your car wirelessly over the Internet, um, you know, how much of your car can I get access to or how much of that airplane can I get access to? Um, and that's, you know, those are kind of spooky questions if the answers that come back turn out to be, well, you know, all of it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's where the need for good security comes in. That's where the need for uh, well-thought-out um mechanisms and methods for being able to, uh, um, you know, deal with uh, potential threats that could emerge as well as uh, just, you know, building software securely in the first place so that uh, these things become extremely difficult to uh, to do. Marty, uh, thanks again for stopping in, talking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk again. You're welcome, Paul. It was good talking to you, and uh, I'd love to uh, do it again in the future. Absolutely. Marty Roche is a vice president and chief architect of Cisco's Security Business Group. He's also the author of the Snort Intrusion Prevention Detection System and CTO of the company Sourcefire, which was acquired by Cisco in October 2013. Marty, thanks again for stopping by. Thank you.